I uh, welcome to episode 115 of Speech Service Murmurings, a speech and narrative service podcast by me, Chris Weird, Speech Service. So, there's a lot in the news about, I'm going topical, uh, a lot of the news about reducing NHS waiting lists um, to pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic levels, and that's the aim. Um, and Rishi and Boris have come on and said, uh, it'll take about two years of them going up before they'll go down, and I'm calling that absolute rubbish. Uh, they're not going to come down. They're just going to keep going up. Pre-pandemic waiting lists for services like speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, just that get into the door where, where a lot of places breaking the, uh, the NHS standard of 18 weeks. Um, some, some services, uh, I speak to parents and they've waited six months to be seen by a therapist. And when I say seen, they, it's triage, um, often by the phone. And if the parent isn't persuasive enough and the school aren't on the ball, then they don't get through triage uh, and have to be re-referred when things get worse. And, then, and inevitably, if you don't address speech language therapy, kind of speech and language kind of issues and occupational therapy issues, for example, um, it inevitably will get worse. Um, and the impact will be on um, wider on the child and, and the, the family and the mental health and financial and all the all the stuff I've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, and then we look at autism diagnostic assessments, and this is where pre-pandemic levels in a lot of the country people were waiting anywhere between eighteen months up to three years. That's pre-pandemic. Are we, are we aiming, is that our gold standard? Are we aiming to go back to waiting up to three years for, for an assessment? Um, is that the gold standard or should we be seeing them quicker? Um, should we be putting, because early intervention is key, should we be putting intervention in place um, as soon as possible? And this is where the, all these services, services interact because usually your gatekeeper is the not a G, used to be GP, your health, and, and now the gatekeeper is at a school in order to get the referral into speech therapy, even though you can self-refer to speech therapy. So it <clears throat> depends on the concerns raised by the teacher or the SENCO. Uh, will that child be allocated in a speech therapy, speech therapy assessment? Um, is the assessment going to be sufficient enough um, and be kind of whole child assessment? and really consider everything, or is it just going to go down the, the route of, um, is it going to consider everything that could contribute towards something like a complex diagnosis such as autism, or is it not? Um, and this is where I'm concerned, because if you've got, you've got a national shortage of speech therapists, you've got services that are struggling to kind of see children within the 18 weeks we're going, we're, we're, our target in, in two years time is pre-pandemic levels um, so you bet you'll end up the knock-on effect will be longer I feel longer waiting list to be triaged for speech and low therapy needs um, significant longer waiting list for potential referral to social communication clinics um, and then longer waiting lists whilst you're waiting on the longer waiting list for social to get into the social communication clinics to then consider whether it's something complex such as an autism spectrum disorder 
and then what happens after that because in a lot of services I know um, whilst you're under assessment you don't receive therapy um, so and whilst you're waiting for an assessment um, if you're waiting for the speech and language assessment yes you're not going to be receiving any speech and language therapy if you're waiting for a, a social communication assessment yes you may be seen by speech and language therapy but then this goes back to the good old are you going to be getting what is reasonable and what your child needs or are you going to be getting what the service can provide and services are stretching up? Um, and that's so concerning. And I don't, I don't have any answers. I don't know what we're supposed to do. Um, NH, RHS colleagues are stretched. I don't know many private speech therapists that have, that have any capacity for therapy. Um, I just I don't know what happened. Uh, do we... Are we, do we push push for more training of speech and language therapists or do we push the consultative pro- approach um, which is what my colleagues are doing they're pushing that we should be teaching others to be essentially um, speech and language therapy assistants and to the speech therapist have we lost the good ideas of speech and language therapists actually providing therapy or um, I, I don't know I, I'm struggling with the future of, of our profession again but I'm struggling with the fact that when you have a child that has an autism spectrum disorder or potentially has an autism spectrum disorder, then what happens when you're under assessment, receiving no therapy, or you're not under assessment but still not receiving any therapy, um, or all, if all the intervention gets done in school and not at home, and you're told to attend the parenting absolute rubbish course, um, then what happens? I mean, the, the family that I saw yesterday, two children, with two children that that one diagnosed, one undiagnosed. The undiagnosed one gets absolutely nothing. The diagnosed one gets absolutely nothing. They have no special education needs, according to um, the local authority and the speech therapist that that's that's, that's seen them um, remotely um, when they weren't in the room. So it's I'm sure you can the knock-on effect is child and adolescent mental health services, CAMS, and we all know what a unicorn CAMS is, the fact that you cannot access CAMS services, um, and so many families that I've seen through this week, um, children that were attempting suicide, not suicidal, attempting suicide, and they weren't, they weren't seen as requiring CAMS, and they were told that when your child is entering suicide, you need to get the crisis team involved, and Therefore, when when you get to that actually horrific part of your child attempting, then the crisis team becomes involved, which is linked to the um, accident emergency. They they become involved for a, for a period of time, and then are supposed to hand back to CAMS, but CAMS don't have capacity to see them. And there's a huge issue in my mind with independent kind of psychiatric services because. When you, when you work as a team, it's great, but there's lots of ind- lots and lots of independent, independent clinicians that we would struggle to do proper joint at work as it should be done in the NHS. But then again, it's not happening in the NHS. A lot of these children are not being joined at work. They're getting mental health nurses. Um, mental health nurses that are fantastic at their job, but they're becoming, in my mind, and from my personal experience, um, they're becoming the GPs of mental health services. 
where they're, they're essentially a, uh, a highly skilled jack of all trades, but don't have specific training in speech therapy, therapy occupational therapy, psychiatry, psychology, and therefore mental health nurses who triage children who are going through camps with or without their autism diagnosis, with or without their speech therapy communication needs, assessment and understanding of what, what their overall needs are, and deciding what therapy is appropriate. So I know of, personally, children that have been recommended services such as CBT via CAMS, um, via a triage assessment with two mental health nurses, and, that, and when the, the, the term assessment is in the loosest possible way, because there's no actual assessment being carried out um, by psychologists, psychiatrists, speech therapy, occupational therapy, but yes, they are triaging the, triaging the children and deciding CBT is appropriate or not. And CBT for children that are autistic is very different to CBT for children that are neurotypical. Um, and these are children that haven't been diagnosed because wait, they've been failed by the system. They've waited their three, four, five years in order to be assessed. And due to the pandemic and due to the absolute shocking nature in, in the way that the NHS is funded and running a lot of services or a lot of areas, um, they've been failed. So you can track back children with speech, sound, and communication needs at a very young age who aren't seen, who aren't picked up by schools, who then, who are presenting as though they may have an autism spectrum condition, um, who aren't seen, who aren't, who aren't referred on, who then end up being school refusers, non-attenders, um, who then end up with declining mental health, who then end up in CAM services, who then end up being triaged by mental health nurses um, without any assessment to that point, who go through crisis um, and potentially end up being um, detained under the Mental Health Act. Um, it's it's just mind blowing seeing this pattern time and time time and time again. Um, and yes, I'm part of the solution, but I'm independent. I'm only part of the solution for those that qualify for legal aid, those that can afford to pay. Um, what's happening to the rest of those children? The vast majority of those children that are either stuck at home or stuck in inappropriate placements with declining mental health, getting absolutely no intervention from specialists such as SLTs and OTs, um, no psychological services in, um, psychiatry is impossible to get more, to get to get into. I just I don't know. This isn't a um, a nice rosy podcast, I'm sorry. This is reality for most families. Um, and I have the privilege of working with a lot a lot of families in this situation and trying to work out just from my tiny aspect as a speech therapist and kind of ex-cancellation and somebody who does the autism diagnostic work um, to try and unpick part of what's happening with their child. Um, but then you've got the issue is how do you do an autism like an ADOS, an autism diagnostic observation schedule, with a child that is in crisis? You can't. You, you don't get an accurate ADOS in a child that's, that has psychosis um, or that's experiencing kind of, um, kind of significant mental health events. Um, 
your, your ADOS is not going to be accurate. And uh, I, I just, I, and this is the, 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 the big problem where you've got children that should have been seen, that an early intervention should be put in place from ages three and four, that have been picked up at ages 12 and 13, and they've been absolutely failed by every single system. But no one is singly, is singly responsible um, for what's happened. Um, it's the system that failed, failed them. But it's just rubbish, absolute rubbish. Right, um, I don't know. I mean, I, my, my aim with the, the South Wales, kind of the diagnostic um, service I've set up in South Wales with the psychiatrist is to be able to offer support to the NHS to reduce their weight in this locally because there isn't at the moment any other service that can provide it. Um, I know children that are waiting two years at the moment. I've been waiting for two years so far that are looking to go private. Um, and these families can't afford to go private. So we're, we're creating a bit, of, a bit more of a viable option because we will be less expensive than all other services. However, it's still expensive. It's still usually an autism assessment is about the monthly salary of, or the combined monthly salary of a lot of, a lot of um, families. And not, I mean, you look at the screen that, we're, that everybody's in at the moment, how can anybody afford that? Um, and therefore they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait.